You're listening to the Snake Sports Talk Show on the Snake Sports Talk Show podcast. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Snake Sports Talk Show. Be sure to like, follow, and subscribe to all media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Podbean, and Spotify by searching Snake Sports Talk Show. All right, what is up, ladies and gentlemen? I hope all of you guys are having a great Saturday so far. We are live in the 702. This is the Snake Sports Talk Show, wherever and however you may be uh, watching and listening to me today. Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook are my social media platforms. You can like and follow me. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel as well. Uh, I do my live stream. I'm actually doing a live stream today. And also, follow me on Spotify, Podbean, and the Google Podcast just by searching Snake Sports Talk Show. So, uh, I'm jam-packed today. Absolutely jam-packed. I've got a good special guest that I will have a live stream here with you guys later on today. Um, You can look him up on Instagram as well. He also has a YouTube channel. His name is Sports Guy Chris. Chris will be joining me here uh, in the show. So uh, before I start my segment, I just want to say this. I ended up getting this um, this news just earlier this morning. Uh, and what a sad, sad moment in the hockey world. Um, Edmonton Oilers, the organization, has announced that their young prospected center, Colby Cave, uh, has unfortunately passed away. Cave, who was in a... In, uh, uh, <clears throat> who was in an immediate induced coma at one of the uh, the clinics back in Canada. Uh, they were performing emergency surgery after undergoing a, uh, a brain bleed. And unfortunately, with all the hard work, they were unable uh, to get to at least get Colby uh, back to a speedy recovery. Uh, it's been hard. Cave, who originally was an undrafted uh, center from Saskatchewan, uh, played on the Edmonton Oilers and the Boston Bruins and had only played 67 games in the NHL. Young, young prospect. Had a lot to look forward to. Um, My thoughts and prayers go out to the Cave family and the Edmonton Oilers organization. Um, The sister of Colby... um, Posted out the picture on Instagram with her brother. Unfortunately, that is no longer with them. Um, Captain Connor McDavid had to. <clears throat> he shed some light upon this subject and talked a lot about his memories with Colby, saying that he was by far one of the toughest guys that I knew. You know, day in and day out, worked out, and always tried to find ways to improve his game. And he was a great teammate. So some great words from the Oilers captain as well, as I know that they're going through a hard time throughout this whole thing, and especially with what's currently going on outside with the pandemic. Um, It's been a harder time for a lot of people, but my thoughts and prayers to the Cave family and the the Oilers organization um, as we get through this hard loss moment here uh, today. So I want to start my show off with this because I have a lot talking about it. I'm going to end up uh, talking about this with sports guy Chris when I get him on in a moment here. Um, So apparently lots of things have been happening in Houston. They have been happening now for the past couple of months. 
and just doesn't seem to be working out. Houston, you have some serious problems. I was on a complete Twitter rant as well, which I I, I, I truly thought needed to be said because there, all these things that have just been happening in the past couple of months has just not been great for the organi- for at least all the organizations in Houston. You got the Houston Astros who are going through a cheating scandal with the World Series, and I still believe that they should put an asterisk on that World Series title because it's stained up. There's a lot that is on that trophy now that no, I, I don't think anybody should ever claim, especially the Dodgers. You've got the Houston Rockets who took on Russell Westbrook's contract and you knew exactly what you were getting into. Now, by the way, this was not something that Daryl Morey, this was his doing. Daryl Morey originally did not like this trade. He didn't like it. He voiced it out to the ownership, but the ownership, of course, when you own a business, you got to go by what the ownership tells you. So uh, the ownership decided to bring on Westbrook, but then here was the problem. When trade deadline came on, they then lost Clint Capella because the fact of the matter is, with the expensive contract that Russell Westbrook has, it's a $38 million a year contract off that 205 five-year longevity contract that he originally signed in Oklahoma City, Houston's trapped. Houston is trapped. And now you have to settle for Robert Covington to be your superstar center, and now the Houston Rockets are the shortest team in the NBA. Such an utter disappointment. But this is nothing to Daryl Morey and nothing to Clint Capella because, look, Three years ago, they loved Clint Capella. I don't understand that trade. I don't understand that trade. And what's what's hard about this is, is because you have two, you now have two ball-centric guys, guys that play a lot of iso ball. Because Westbrook, you got to have the ball in his hands in order for him to perform because he's a hyper-athletic player. And you got to have the ball in James Harden's hands because he's the one that has to drain in all these threes, whether he's doing step backs or he's just shooting from the wing. <clears throat> Two ball-centric guys. Never works out in the playoffs. And so finally, this brings me now to my point about the Houston Texans. What did we end up learning about them for the past couple of weeks? Okay, they trade away their best wide receiver in DeAndre Hopkins for... Not a first round, which was really surprising to me. Because if you look at all the wide receivers over the years in the NFL, all of them who have been traded and have gone to different teams all got traded for a number one, for at least a first round pick. Not Houston, apparently. They ended up trading Hopkins to Arizona and they settled for a second and a fourth round pick. Are you kidding me? And then, by the way, I found this out yesterday just to make matters worse. And to kind of steer the pot a little bit. They then go and trade for Brandon Cooks. And this is now another team with dysfunction is the LA Rams. They then trade and acquire Brandon Cooks and a fourth round pick for a second round pick. What? This is the problem that I have now with Houston. Because you give a guy so much power. 
where he's both the head coach and the general manager of the organization and the ownership for whatever reason, the ownership right now doesn't really... I just feel like the ownerships in Houston in general, they've come through bad breaks throughout the couple of months now because you had the Astros going through the cheating scandal. You have the Rockets, apparently, who are now trapped under the Westbrook contract that Daryl Morey did not want any part of. And now you have the Houston Texans who give too much power to Bill O'Brien as a coach and a general manager. And now the ownership. How are you going to explain that to your fan base? How are you going to explain that to your fan base when here's the thing about the Texans and what's going to be happening soon? Um, you bring in Brandon Cooks who over the last five times has had concussion issues and was close to being retired. Okay, I don't know if he has the same or, the, or, or, or he's got more concussions than Big Ben. And then you've got Will Fuller, who never stays healthy, always hurt from the bottom up. You've got Randall Cobb, which, by the way, Green Bay released him because he couldn't stay healthy. And then you've got Kenny Stills, who's a nice receiver, but then he missed the last three weeks. So, a message to the Houston Texans. Are you seriously considering that if you're going into this season, you're going to play with hurt receivers? Because I can guarantee you right now what may, what may be happening with the Texans. And I will not be pissed off if this does happen. I will not be mad. I will not go on a complete rant. I will keep everything professional because that's what I am. I'm a guy behind the mic that has to tighten up the tie and be professional as much as I can. But if all of this pans out terribly for the Houston Texans, I will not be surprised and I will not be mad if Deshaun Watson leaves. I will not. This is why I mentioned that Deshaun Watson, and I believe me when I play um, fantasy football with great guys, with my great friends, my great colleagues. I play fantasy football all the time. And there have been times where I've been tempted to take Deshaun Watson. The problem of it is, in Deshaun Watson's case, he doesn't have a healthy offensive line. He now doesn't even have any healthy receivers that are reliable and trustworthy. And you've got a head coach who has too much power. And I feel like abuses that power in a general managing position. Listen, I like Bill O'Brien as a coach, but I do not trust him in a general managing position. You know what's funny? And I ended up hearing this on uh, on the show The Herd with Colin Cowherd, and he completely ripped both Bill O'Brien and the LA Rams. Okay, this is what the comparison was. Bill O'Brien, because of what he settled with, um, because think of it this way. The Houston Texans, you don't have a first-round pick, and you certainly don't have a second-round pick, whether for this year or for next year. So think about that while you're instilling that in your minds. Because we're going into a draft where there are 50 wide receivers, great talent. These are prospected players. These are guys that could turn around and come into an offensive system and could work beautifully under these head coaching, uh, you know, these head coaching methods. I mean, this is going to make the teams impactful in offense. Now you don't even have that. So he compared Bill O'Brien to uh, that kid, you know, where his family ends up going away and they go for like, you know, a vacation and he's left with the house for three, 
for three weeks. And he's got all this money and all this cash, and he spent it in the first three weeks. And after everything um, that he's now trying to cover up, he's now living off of eating cornflakes for dinner. (laughs) So there's a part of Bill O'Brien right there that automatically just tells you what kind of person he is on a general managing and a coaching position. Coaching, nice guy. Loves his quarterbacks. But general managing... That's one that you just, you cannot stand. That's one you cannot stand. That's the one that really irks me. So then you have the LA Rams who, by the way, with this trade, because what the LA Rams have a problem with, they love their players. They love their players. They love it so much. They don't want to let either one of them go. So, hey, Todd Gurley, you're definitely a damn good running back. We're going to pay you early And then that way then, because we know how much consistency you have. Oh, by the way, he gets hurt, and then he's no longer uh, productive as much. Lost the value. You got Andrew Whitworth, who luckily they kept, because I still think he's got a year left until he then goes into retirement mode. Because he can only play the offensive line so much. And that offensive line is old. That offensive line is old. You know what's one thing that they did right? Pay Jared Goff early. That's the only thing that they did right. I like Jared Goff, and I think he's a real good franchise quarterback, but the Rams, the problem with them is that they love their players, they pay them early, and then eventually they're going to get hit with that salary cap, and now they have to be forced to make decisions to lose star players because they cannot come within that salary cap. They're going to lose a lot of players. And it's been disastrous for um, the Rams so far. Because now the Rams, they lost Clay Matthews. They lost Dante Fowler. They lost Todd Gurley. They lost a lot of really good star players. And this is what he compared. This is what Cowherd compared to the LA Rams. They're that guy. While Bill O'Brien is the kid who spends all that money in three weeks and eating cornflakes for dinner... The Rams are like that guy that loves buying cars, and he likes to showcase cars. He, he likes to show everybody his cars. Okay, he's got a really nice SUV. He's got a nice Tesla. He's got also, you know, a, a really bomb Maserati. But then what happens when you buy the car off the lot? The, the value percentages drops to 30% the second it hits the off the lot. That's the truth. You have so many star players. You pay them early because... You love them. Wrong in this league. That does not work in the NFL. You really think that Bill that Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, that relationship was a love relationship? No, that was a like relationship. And that's the way it is in the NFL. Listen, if you really think that Andy Reid loves Patrick Mahomes, because, I mean, we all do. We love what Patrick Mahomes does. Nice. Flashy. He's got a hell of an arm. There's nobody that you, you, you can compare him to. But throughout all of this, it's, it's a like affair. It's a like affair because you do not know what the production will be from the next five years and the next five years after and maybe even another five years after that. You just don't know. So when you love a player that much, sometimes there does come a little bit of some surprises. 
That's what the Rams and that's what the Texans are going to have to deal with. Now they got to deal with all these surprises. Hey, Texans, here's a surprise. You're not going to get wide receivers this year or next year, especially with how stacked that the uh, the wide receiver core is this year's draft. You're not going to get that. And Deshaun Watson is probably going to end up showing himself out the door because he wants no part of it. He's already had a torn ACL. You couldn't even give him an offensive line. And you couldn't even give him healthy wide receivers to help him produ- like produce? I don't get it. I don't get it with the Houston Texans. I, this is why I said, I, I feel bad, honestly, for fans of Houston. <laughs> fans of Houston have gone through a lot in the last couple of months. Astros cheating. Rockets can't f- seem to figure out their identity and they're trapped. And then the Texans, they have too much uh, power in the general manager's position that they abuse it and they don't end up respecting their players. <laughs> it's absolutely insane. It's quite the insanity. <laughs> All right, so let, let me shift to this because I want to be able to touch upon this subject here uh, very, very, very fast. So um, I've been getting some rumored reports. I don't know if it's for real. I don't know truthfully if it's for real. But the Utah Jazz, we know that we've been they've been going through a, a bunch of stuff with Rudy Gobert who originally got the coronavirus. He's recovered. Donovan Mitchell then gets the coronavirus after uh, Rudy Gobert after his, um, you know his his actions regarding to the uh, the interview. So Donovan Mitchell now is is fully recovered. Here's a problem that's going on now with the Utah Jazz, and I will tell you this personally before I get into it. I truly think that the Utah Jazz are such a good team in the West, outside of the Lakers, outside of the Clippers, and some of the teams in the Western Conference. I thought this could have been a team who probably I may see in the second round. I don't know if this is a championship caliper team, but it almost started to look like it. Because the second they get Mike Conley, I thought this team could have eventually found their identity and they could have been better. And now um, there are rumored reports that apparently the relationship between Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell does not seem sound. And that kind of shocks a lot of Jazz fans. Because look, we know with what happened in the actions of Rudy Gobert during this whole coronavirus outbreak, and then eventually it gets to uh, Donovan Mitchell, who, like, gladly, both of them have recovered from this virus. But at the same time, there, there may be some other things that are going on that we all probably don't know about. And Rudy Gobert, of course, did express his apologies. He did express his apologies to Donovan Mitchell and to all the fans and even to everybody in the organization for his actions. You know, and, and this is kind of something that we know with this outbreak. This is not something that we should be taking lightly. We should not be joking around with. Look, numbers are going up every single day with as far as cases We don't know come the next 24 hours or the next couple of days what the numbers will be like. We are in a state of unknown. And like I said, we're shut down here in Vegas. It's a complete ghost town, but I've always said this is, you know, and I'm not trying to be funny or trying to be a joke, but we're like Motel 6. We always leave the lights on to remind people we're still here. We are here. 
We may be shut down, and I may hear crickets off the strip and, of course, inside T-Mobile Arena, but we're, we're, we're not in complete darkness. We got the lights on still. But going back to this, I don't know. I, 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 I'm not sure. I, these are the only sources that I have so far, uh, and I'll be doing a little bit more research, but I think that that would be crazy, and I think that would be nuts. And to be honest, if this relationship is not sound and the relationship is not great, if there is a potential trade, I guarantee you I think Houston or, or sorry, Utah, I think Utah is not going to be a very competitive team. I think after everything that they've built, you lose Rudy Gobert, you're losing one of the best defensive players in the NBA, and he may end up going to a team and make them better and make them more defensive. If you lose Donovan Mitchell, you're losing a guy who I think could potentially be a big-time star um, because I, I, I love his skills. I love his showcasing skills. He's the type of guy that can shoot both mid-range and in threes. I mean, the kid's got a lot to, to learn from. But if you lose either one of them, Utah now has to go back to the drawing board. That's just the way that I would see it if this relationship does not pan out beautifully. And I think that that's kind of a scare for Utah fans. So hopefully they'll come to some sort of resolution, but even if it doesn't, I could guarantee you right now, and I've been talking with this about uh, with my colleagues, which I found that out from, and we just been having long conversations about this, about the what ifs, you know, and, and this will be a story that may break out for the next couple of days. If this does in fact happen coming up, I will be talking a little bit more on the NFL draft. And of course, um, I really do want to talk about, you know, the fact of will sports return anytime soon? Because right now with this coronavirus, everybody has been asking question after question. And nobody knows. We all don't know. I don't know. The only trustworthy person that I can rely on in these unprecedented times is Dr. Fauci. That's the only person doing the researches, doing the tests, and doing what they can with his great medical staff, hopes to finding this cure and hoping that we can get back to some sort of normalcy. And I will be explaining about what could potentially happen with sports coming up next. And plus, my special guest, sports guy Chris, will be coming on on the live stream, and I will be having more and more of that coming up next on the Snake Sports Talk Show. You're listening to the Snake Sports Talk Show on the Snake Sports Talk Show podcast. Well, I can tell you right now, especially being in the Vegas Valley, we've got some sunny weather, the sun is shining, and I'm not too worried about what's going on on the outside. I know that we have a lot going on with the pandemic, but we are doing our absolute best to get through this together. So uh, I've got a really good guest on here for me back here on the Snake Sports Talk Show. He's a great colleague of mine. He covers a lot. He covers college football and basketball. Also, he loves his Green Bay Packers, and he talks a lot about the NFL and even on the NBA. Sports guy, Chris, you can look him up on Instagram and all the social media platforms. Subscribe to his YouTube channel. Great content, great stuff. Chris, 
I know we have a lot of stuff to talk about here with, you know, are we ever going to see some normalcy back um, when sports gets back up and running anytime soon? I mean, it's been kind of crazy the last couple of days. Yeah, absolutely. Sunny, sunny outside here in Southern California. We had about a week straight of rain, which is unusual for us in these parts. (laughs) But uh, we'll take it. But the sun is out today and back to blue skies. So, oh, that's uh, great. A beautiful day here as well, my friend. Yes, that's great. Yeah, I know we've had so we had some rains, of course. You know, they've been kind of brushy rains, and uh, it's been a little bit cool as well. I know that we're kind of you know getting through the last push and finally getting into summer, and so. Um, but good yeah. stuff. Cause I know out in California, I've got family that live up in North town and I know it's been like a complete lake bed with this whole entire coronavirus and the shutdown. So it's been kind of, kind of tough for a lot of people on the West coast, even with, you know, regards to, cause I have a lot of colleagues that are in the East coast and they've been dealing with a lot around in Philadelphia, New York city, so much that's been happening. So, but I want to dig in a little bit closer because, um, You've been covering this now for a couple of days now, and we've been, um, you've been talking a lot more about, you know, trying to get sports back up and running. Uh, Adam Silver, of course, came out in the, um, in the commissioner's meeting with the president and has been inquiring about sports leading the way of getting the economy back up and running. Um, when we Because we know that there are a lot of people, they're affected from some of their small businesses. A lot of people in the sports industry, they're affected with their jobs, especially concessions, lots of people. So what have been your thoughts with as far as, you know, what sports could definitely do um, when we decide to start getting it back up and running again? Um, you know, I, I agree with, with Adam Silver and the others. You know, sports could certainly be in the forefront. I mean, it's such a huge industry in our country and, and really around the world. You know, it really, really is. But, uh, you know, especially here, the, the big thing I think with it is, and, and I, we'd all love to see it come back, but it's more of the, the, the average person, you know, the guy that is showing you where to park in the parking lot of the stadiums, the guy that gets you your beer, your peanuts at the baseball game, the guy that checks your ticket off as you come in the ballpark or the, you know, the arena and so on and so forth, making sure if we can bring it back that we can have these guys, you know, employed as well in some way, shape or form. Certainly, um, if you can get some games going again and, and get the networks broadcasting games, the, the revenue that flows in with that, of course, there's, there's a money flow that goes along with, with it. But I would love to see a way or have us get to the point where there's a little bit, hopefully it's soon here, where, where the precautions are lifted a little bit, where we could actually get some of those folks 
that would see the biggest benefit, you know, returning back to work as well. Um, I mean, I'm all for it. I want to get, get the return of sports as well, but, um, I'd like if possible, you know, I'd like to see it with some kind of fans in the stands. Mm -hmm. Of course, uh, I can understand if the first step is playing in empty arenas or ballparks just to kind of get the ball rolling, but to really bring back and I think give the economy that kind of surge, if we could, get everybody back and, and going back out to the ball games and just everything that that would bring with it, all the employees and the trickle down that goes along with it. So um, hopefully we could get to that point. Uh, I do like the talk. I mean, I, I like that we've got the commissioners of different sports and those people in power out there having the conversations, right? Trying to come up with some creative ways to get it going. Right. So um, it, I, I like that aspect of it. I don't, know if we've got a, a concrete plan yet obviously but you know i like the early discussions and the fact that we're you know going down that road and, and hopefully can come up with something that'll work to get sports back and going sports guy chris here joining me on the uh on the show and you know what i do agree because the thing of it is i give kudos to two organizations the nba and the nfl look Adam Silver, yeah. I think, has been the absolute catalyst as far as leadership-wise of trying to, because yeah. he's the kind of guy that loves his players. You know, he protects his players yeah. as much as he can. And the other yeah. thing is, too, I, I, I give kudos to the NFL because at least they have been providing a lot of content for guys like you and I and for other, um, you know, sports talk guys as well to have something to talk about other than this yes. damn virus. Yeah, so, um, so let me shift to this. Um, You've got you've been covering as well a lot of uh, you've been doing a bracket of of what could have been of the March Madness deal because you know what um, it was kind of hard like it was kind of hard for me with as far as um, I was supposed to be in Los Angeles actually on my birthday week in March going to my first ever uh, NBA game and now that's not happening but oh, without. You know, March Madness, and I think that's been kind of hard because some of these college athletes, you know, seniors, they're getting ready to graduate. Now they can't even showcase their skills to, you know, potential um, organizations when they go into the draft. How difficult has that been for some of these players? Because I know they're thinking of, you know, trying to showcase their skills to get in, not to mention, too, you have, because uh, March Madness has always been connecting with players connecting with athletes. You had the fans, you got parents, you got coaches. So how difficult had, could that have been now for college basketball as a whole, knowing that, you know, without this, like, how, you know, how could they have panned all this out and be able to do this tournament? And it's kind of impossible at this point. Yeah, yeah. You know, that, that one, that was a tough one, obviously. I mean, I'm, I'm with the, uh, just like many out there, I, I, you know, I really feel March Madness is really the best single sporting event we have on a yearly basis in this country. That's just me. That's my opinion. But, you know, the, the excitement and everything and just the, everything at play, the opportunity for so many different teams to compete. So, but you're right. I mean, I, if you are a college basketball player, you're, you're competing. Yeah. It's nice to win a regular season conference championship, but you're trying to play in the NCAA tournament. You're trying to, live out that March Madness, have your opportunity on the big screen. And, and you made an excellent point when you talk about guys and increasing their draft stock and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. 
go back a year ago, right? John mm-hmm. Morant, an incredible point guard, and he was having a terrific season last year. Yeah. If there's no March Madness and there's no 12 seed Murray State and John Morant putting on a show for two games in the NCAA tournament over that first weekend, I'm not so sure he takes the whole NBA draft by storm along with Zion Williamson. I mean, that's a perfect example of a guy that went from being a lottery pick to a top three pick by being able to play and showcase his skills like like you said. So sure. not only do you have guys that are kind of, you know, missing that opportunity, but just the guys in general who have played for three or four years and maybe this was their opportunity to make a March Madness. You know, guys could go through their entire college career and never have an opportunity to make it. And, uh, you know, for guys like you made a good point, a senior, you know, your last hurrah, you're thinking about going out and all of a sudden, just like that, you can't play. I mean, I thought about it and thought, geez, you know, could you imagine being a, uh, an NFL player going through your entire season and you're ready to all of a sudden take the field in the Super Bowl in two weeks and they say, actually, it's just not going to, and it's just not going to happen, period. Not postponed, but just completely suspended. I mean, uh, you'd be pretty devastated. So for these guys, I think it, it, it you know, it's going to be interesting to see the impact on the NBA draft this year. But, uh, yeah, in general, it very it's very tough for these players. So you're kind of just – you didn't get that last chance to to show, like you said, showcase your skills and potentially, you know, make a case whether it be to, to play overseas. A lot of times mm-hmm. these guys have some good games. This is an opportunity for the rest of the world to see them as well. And, right. you know, as you know, that it's a, you know, it's a small amount of guys that uh, advances on to the NBA. So a lot of times these guys – have an opportunity to get picked up and and some some folks overseas and they get a chance to go play professionally over there as well so sure. a lot of opportunities uh you know just kind of uh not there anymore so um yeah you know i i hear you it's uh i think it's a tough thing for these players unfortunately so uh, at, at first i would have liked maybe to see a special rule where if you were a senior you could com- come back next year you know for that opportunity right. uh, to get chance at the tournament but uh so that was decided against that and the reason so that was the one thing that i was also gonna uh like kind of shift towards as well because think about it you know you have right now the spring sport players who are eligible for at least another year and they couldn't be able to give another eligible year for all these winter sport athletes how big of an impact is that now knowing that spring's able to get the uh, the eligibility and not for the ones during the winter even with uh, regards to March Madness? Yeah, um, I mean, I, I completely understand the spring sports. I'm glad they did that. You know, I mean, their seasons were completely wiped out. I think you gotta you got to give those kids another opportunity for sure. Uh, I would have liked to have seen it with, with, with the winter sports as well. I understand they had the opportunity to get the majority of their seasons in in most cases, but... Uh, at the same time, you know, they, they were still robbed of those opportunities to finish off their seasons, to compete for championships, whether that be conference tournament routes or the national title. So I would have liked to see maybe just one special, you know, j- just for this year, a special clause. And again, just for seniors, I, I've seen different arguments out there that, oh, well, you know, to carry the, that many extra seniors, you know, scholarship again, the extra cost for the schools and so on and so forth. 
I mean, you're talking a handful of, of students, three or four, maybe five, maybe mm-hmm. a, 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 a school. I, I think the, there's enough money and resources out there to give those kids another opportunity. Right. NCAA makes plenty of money off college football and college basketball every single year. So right. I think that, that, that would be a possibility. I understand their reasoning. They did get most of their seasons in, but um, I, I still am on the, uh, in the camp where I would have liked to have seen something done for winter sports too. I don't know, some kind of special uh, circumstance, you know, uh, resolution j- just for a season to, to at least give them the option if they wanted to come back and play for one more year, it would be on the table for them. Sports guy Chris here on the Snake Sports Talk Show. So let me ask you this, if the March Madness was to go on, because there were a lot of teams that were, there were a lot of programs that I thought were very, very interesting. I will make a point. I think this could have been the year Gonzaga would have won the tournament because Gonzaga's been the middle of the pack in either the top 10 or the top five um, in tournaments like this. But I think this really could have been the year because Duke right now doesn't look the same. North Carolina, of course, had been going through some struggles as well. But there have been a lot of speculations of other programs like Dayton, San Diego State, and even for Baylor. To me personally, I liked San Diego State, but I don't think, because look, we all know when we watch March Madness, it gets tougher by the time you get to the Elite Eight, the Final Four, and potentially to the championship. Who, two teams, which one did you see could have potentially made an impact to maybe win the tournament? And which one did you see, I think most of the fans and, um, you know, kind of overhyped the program and maybe not could have made it as far? All right, great points, great, great points, Jake. I'm with you. I I really thought this year's March Madness could have had the uh, you know the opportunity to be one of the better, more wide open ones we've had in in recent history. And uh, I think Gonzaga would have been, in my opinion, one of the top two or three teams to win it all. I would have probably had the Zags in the Final Four, mm-hmm. and I was also a big fan of Dayton. Dayton, Obi Toppin was, in my opinion, the best player in the country this year. Uh, that was a wide-open debate, too. He was phenomenal, but Dayton shot 60% from two-point field goal range on the season. That is incredible for a team to have a two-point field goal percentage that high. Yeah. And it bodes extremely well for tournament play. You know, we've seen it. A team can come in. They can shoot the lights out from three-point range one day, and then the shots don't fall the next game, and they get beat like they're supposed to. A team that relies heavily on threes can make a run, but they can go ice cold and get eliminated just like that. A team that shoots consistently and well on their two-point field goals is a team I like in tournament play. I thought Dayton would have had a real, real chance to do something. And Gonzaga. Gonzaga is a very, very solid club. They played a very tough non-conference. And when you looked at their conference this year, the West Coast, it was actually – very strong. St. Mary's was a very highly rated team. They would have been in the tournament, and BYU yeah. had a you know top ten net rating. I mean, BYU would have been probably a five seed. So mm-hmm. uh, the Zags were tested in conference this year as well, which doesn't normally happen. So I'm with you. I thought Gonzaga would have had a great chance, and I thought Dayton would have had a great chance as well. I thought, uh, despite the good record, I, I'm with you. I don't think Duke had what it would have took to make a run this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they were still a little bit lacking. They didn't quite have the depth that they sometimes do. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Florida State would have been the team out of the ACC that I would have looked at. They they have a lot of length, a lot of different guys, not one particular guy that can score. Florida State would have been the team to keep an eye on. And as great as Kansas was playing, mm. uh, I Kansas has trouble in the tournament a lot of times. And with this year's yeah. tournament, you look at the teams that would have been eight, nine seeds, four or five seeds, I think Kansas would have had a, a, a difficult problem getting to the Final Four. They're a good team, don't get me wrong, but yeah. – they would have been that one like overwhelming kind of favorite team that I wouldn't have been quite so hot on. I'm with you. I think this could have been the year that, you know, the first time since 1990 when UNLV won it with Larry Johnson and the boys back in the day yeah. that a mid-major would have won the national title. And I could have, I, I would have went with either Gonzaga or Dayton. Mm-hmm. In fact, I would have loved to see those two in the national title game. That would have been a great national title game. <laughs> oh my so. gosh, I thought that I think that one would have definitely drew a crowd and I think a lot of people like, you know, because you have to think about because that's the most exciting thing of March Madness. You're filling the brackets out and last year completely like, you know, threw all of us off because there were a lot of you know, programs like Michigan State was one that I thought was interesting because I love uh, Cassius Winston and I thought he was very, very uh, a good defensive player, somebody that could potentially come into the NBA as a good defensive prospect. And then not to mention, you know, you looked at uh, out of the curve, you know, a, a Virginia team. That just comes in and yeah. they started playing. And, and I think it kind of threw a lot of people off because they all anticipated Duke would have been the team. Or if not them, yeah. North Carolina would. But, you know, you just you never know. And that's what's so exciting about yeah. March Madness like this. But I, as I've said, you know, I do believe Gonzaga could have been the program who would have finally won it because they've been in the middle of the pack for years. Um, Dayton, I think, would have been a surprise. Um, but it's funny you brought up about Kansas because, look, I remembered years ago in middle school and I remembered the national championship between Kansas and Memphis. You're absolutely right about that. And when you look at the Kansas team from then... And then the Kansas going into this tournament, you're absolutely right. I think that would have been a, a difficult matchup, um, and of course, difficult, um, you know, position they would have been in with all these other programs, whether they're, you know, the Power Five conferences and whatnot, and then you know, just other teams too that could potentially surprise them. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I agree. You know, I mean, Kansas. Was a great team. I had them, you know, I finished the, my, my end of the season top 25. I had them number one, just like everybody else out there. But um, just like you were just talking about, come tournament time might have been a little bit different. And they, let's just be honest, that's unfortunately for them, they've had a little bit of problems in the tournament under Bill Self. They won a title, but you, you brought up that great game years ago with Memphis. I mean, um, <laughs> Memphis kind of had that game won. Kansas was able to, to rally and get it done, but you look at how good they've been over the years and you would think for sure that they would have uh, captured another one at some point in there, but, you know, just uh, unable to get it done. But you kind of look at how their bracket would have went. They probably would have been in the Midwest and you probably would have had a team like Wisconsin in there as a four seed or potentially five seed, a team that had been on fire. I mean, if you drew a a Michigan state as potentially a two seed in that region, that, that would have been tough or a three. Uh, so I, 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 just looking at the teams they would have had to go against would have been kind of, uh, you know, tough for them. I could, I could, I could see Kansas being one of those upset victims again, mm-hmm. had it happened. Could they roll to the final four? Sure. You know, no doubt about it, but, uh, you know, I'm with you. I, I, I do think, uh, going back to Gonzaga, this might've been the year for the Zags. You know, they've got, they've had the experience. They've been there now the last couple tournaments and, 
again, I think that they would have came in very battle-tested, just as battle-tested as any Kansas or Duke or any blue blood, blood excuse me, out there this year. Mm-hmm. So I would have liked them a lot. But, uh, yeah, you know, Kansas, you, you kind of look at who they potentially would have had to take on. And, you know, anybody, even in that second round, you know, Michigan, Iowa, Illinois, probably all would have been somewhere in the 7-8 range mm-hmm. seed-wise. That would have been a difficult second-round matchup, you know, so – uh, it would it would have been a, I think a tough road for Kansas. A lot of those teams would have matched up potentially well with the Jayhawks too. Similar mm-hmm. similar styles of play, decent guard play on all of those squads with you know a solid defense and rebounding. That's exactly what Kansas does. So uh, it, it it would have been I think difficult. Would have uh, would have loved to see the games, of course. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You and you and me both. Sports guy Chris here on the Snake Sports Talk Show. So let's shift to this because I know that uh, you know we've got the NFL draft coming up here in just yes. a matter of days. But here's one thing I want to talk about before we get up into the draft is something that happened recent. Um, dear Lord, what is going on with the Houston Texans? And and not only that, but the, even the L.A. Rams. Look. I've said this, I went on a complete Twitter rant, I don't know if you had seen it, but I talked about the city of Houston, not the fans, because I feel bad for the fans, but I've been talking about the city of Houston with all their organizations. You got the Astros in the cheating scandal with the World Series, you got the the Houston Rockets who don't even know what their identity is after you traded Clint Capella because you're dealing with that massive Westbrook contract that now you're trapped and you're the shortest team in the NBA, and then you got the Houston Texans who... By the way, has not had an, a healthy offensive line for Deshaun Watson, who I feel like could suffer another ACL tear in his other knee. And then you've got, you know, you trade away DeAndre Hopkins, his best receiver to help produce this team for a second and a fourth round pick. Like, like I love the deal that, you know, the um, the Vikings got for Stephon Diggs because at least they, they gave him a sense of security in the draft. But then all of a sudden, they go and trade... For Brandon Cooks of the Rams, who are also not in the best position, and you give away a second-round pick for that. So now you have no second-round pick for this year, no second-round pick for next year. You're losing the opportunities of getting better receivers. And now here's where I'm going to go off about Houston. You've got Cooks, who's had five concussion injuries and is close to being at retirement. You've got Will Fuller, who can't stay healthy from the neck down. And then you also have... um, Randall Cobb, who the Green Bay Packers released him because of the fact he can't stay healthy on the field. And then you have Kenny Stills, who I like, but would miss the last three weeks. So for Houston, are you trying to come into this draft and even potentially into free agency with hurt receivers? Like, I don't know. What is your opinion on Houston? Um, I, you know, I'm with you 110%. You know, I, I did an article right when O'Brien did his first, you know, blockbuster trade and and swapped out one of the best receivers on the planet for a you know washed up running back that he's hoping i guess to get the four-year-old version of i'm not really sure but um i i have to question what what the texans are doing from the top up i mean whenever you you look at what they did obviously in that division game against the chiefs 24 nothing your coach goes on a series of boneheaded calls to single-handedly allow them to get back in the game right. whether it be the fake punt there was a whole series of boneheaded things that he did in the second quarter to get them back in the game and then after that 
you decide to award this guy the GM duties. I mean, you you say, all right, you know, I mean, not only did he blow the playoff game from a coaching standpoint, right? But we're impressed enough with him. We're going to give him the operation duties, you know, of everything. And then you made an excellent point, of course, with the trades and everything like that. It is clear to me, and I think you and everybody else out there, that Bill O'Brien does not have the same value in draft picks that the rest of us all do, or certainly the rest of the NFL does. Because to trade one of the top three receivers on the planet and not even get a first-round pick back, and then later that night, like you said, you have the Vikings who trade Stephon Diggs, who's a great receiver, but he's not DeAndre Hopkins. Right. And they get a first rounder back in return. I mean, just a couple hours later, he, I mean, his trade was completely undermined by a different team and with a lesser receiver. And then right. trying, I don't know if it was trying to save face or trying to figure out who, uh, you know, we, okay, well, we got to bring a receiver in somehow, but then to, trade a second round pick for Brandon Cooks, like you said, who's got the concussion history and everything else. I mean, again, this isn't the Brandon Cooks from three years ago that you're trading for. You know, I mean, could he bounce back and have a great season? Yeah, I suppose he could. But like you said, I, if I was the Texans going into this offseason, right, I was pretty well set at my receiver position. I had two glaring needs. I needed to shore up the offensive line, like you said, help protect my young star quarterback, and do something with my defensive secondary who couldn't cover me and you this yes. past season. Let's yes. I mean, their secondary was awful. You know, they, they got roasted late in the season at home by Denver. You know, Drew Locke's <laughs> coming out party was roasting the Texans on their home field late in the season and it, it, I saw that game and I thought this team has a lot of trouble no matter if they make the playoffs or not they're not going to go anywhere they don't have a secondary and they don't so I haven't seen them improve their secondary at all mm-hmm. which is where I would have if I was going to make trades and do all this other stuff I would have did something to upgrade my defensive secondary so I could guard some people Again, I'm in the AFC. I'm in the AFC where I've got Lamar Jackson airing it out all over. We've got Patty Mahomes throwing it all over the place. So it, it, the guys that you're competing with here, you <laughs> you know, you gotta you gotta improve your defensive secondary. So for them to not do that was surprising for me. But I'm with you. I just I don't really understand what the Texans are doing. Certainly what Bill O'Brien is doing, and you know, uh, he's either gonna you know dig his own grave with these moves or not. Because I, I mean. You have to think if they take a step back this year, they would fire him and just start over. I mean, you know, wh- yeah. where else do you go otherwise? You just traded some some really, you know, your best asset away, essentially, outside of your young quarterback. Well, you know what's... Return, so. Well, you know what's funny is, and, and, and I actually heard this from... Um, because not a lot of people do love the show, but I listen to... Um, to Colin Coward all the time whenever I'm on the work on the weekday um, and the funniest thing that he pointed out and one thing I'll say is because you look at that AFC South and you look at exactly how everything is built around you've got the Titans and you've got the Colts two organizations who by the way Chris Ballard one of the smartest young general managers in the league who is set the Colts to be the best team that they can be now Getting Phillip Rivers I thought was great because at least he's got a really good healthy offensive line finally and I do say that from a charger background which I don't always throw out behind the mic but you know the fact that he's going somewhere where he has a lot of time in the pocket he's a pocket present 
uh, quarterback. And now the Titans, I'm not sure how that they're going to um, perform because the fact of now Ryan Tannehill has a brand new contract. You got um, Derrick Henry on a franchise tag. And we're not sure if we're going to see the same Cinderella story to get to the championship game like we saw a, a year ago. But the one thing that Cowherd put was about Bill O'Brien. This is a two-piece set because it was about the Texans and it was about the Rams. Bill O'Brien, he mentioned, he said that he reminds you of the kid when your parents go out on vacation for three weeks and you're left with the house, you're left with all that power and you've got all the money and you spend it in the first three weeks and now you're left out trying to cover yourself, covering your you-know-what um, with eating cornflakes for dinner and now you're trying to come up with the perfect uh, excuse of why everything is just the way that it's set to be. So I'm like, uh, but for the Rams, the Rams are in a, in a position now where even if you got rid of Brandon Cooks, it's still not, not helping your situation because the Rams, they're the type of organization they love. They don't like, they love their players. They pay them early. That's why you saw Todd Gurley, how he produced and Brandon Cooks with the concussions. Then you ended up getting a couple of stars. Now you've lost them all. You lose, you lose Cooks, you lose Gurley, you lose Dante Fowler, and you even lose Clay Matthews and a bunch of others. So, you know, with this cap hit, like, where do you see right now with the Rams? I feel like they're taking a step back here at this point because now Seattle's maintaining, and you got San Francisco who's tough with that defense, and Arizona who's just only going to get better. I, I agree with you 100%. I think you make great points about the Rams as well. That division was already difficult to begin with. And now, like you said, with the improvements the Cardinals have made, you know, just going to get DeAndre Hopkins, they're in position where they are at number eight in the draft. There's going to be good offensive linemen that can step in and be day one starters for them to help yeah. protect Murray, shore up the offensive line. Cardinals are going to be better. But we all know, of course, the 49ers. And as long as there's a guy named Russ Wilson up in Seattle, I, that team always is going to be a winner, it seems like, no yes. matter what they do with the rest of that roster. As long as Russ and Pete Carroll are, are there, they keep winning. So you look at the Rams, like you said, and all these guys that they gave big money to now a couple of years ago after their breakout aren't working out anymore. Now right. we've got all this dead cap money. Yes, they made the trade for, for Ramsey last year to try and get an elite corner. Uh, jury's still out on that. I mean, if he plays up to his potential, certainly that will will be welcome there. But now you're looking at the at the Rams, and I agree with you. I think they took a step back. I mean, now they're going to go in the next season. Question mark at the running back position. You know, wide receiver. They're they're probably still okay, but now they they've lost a little bit of depth there. Of course, we saw what can happen if Cooper Cup gets injured. Yes, they uh they they kind of lose uh, a lot of their offense there. So uh, I understand wanting to bring him back, of course, and and him being a big part of the focal point. Moving on from Cooks made sense for them, but they're still, you know, like we talked about, attached to a lot of dead money there. I'm with you. I think they took a step back there, coupled with the fact that the division is just as good, but probably better because of the Cardinals taking some strides and moving forward this offseason. So, uh, and then you look at the rest of the NFC, and, and the, the NFC is pretty tough, really, from top to bottom, especially when you're looking at that West. There's no gimmies there. The, the, the South got better, of course, with Tom Brady going to Tampa and uh, and Carolina and Atlanta mm -hmm. seemingly improving a little bit. So 
it, it's going to be difficult just to get those wins in the NFC, let alone in the division. So I'm with you. I think they took a step back there. You look at the roster. They didn't necessarily bring in too many difference-making guys. They didn't have the, the, the cap space to be able to do so. So right. you look at a roster that, you know, was a 500 team last year, and I think you it's going to be hard to make an argument that that roster really got any better. I, I think you're still looking at a 500 roster uh, at best, you know, especially yeah. given how difficult that division is going to be now. So yeah, and my big point, and my I, big I point, yeah, and my and my big point with that is, is like you know, because I look at it this way: if you take away Aaron Donald and you take away Jalen Ramsey, what kind of a defense does the the LA Rams have after that? I feel like that that's a mediocre defense if you lose both those guys, and then the Rams are now back to square one. This is, because my only fear is, and here's the one thing I think the only thing they did smart was. Pay Hey, Jared Goff early because that's your franchise quarterback. That's your guy that's going to lead you at the helm because, you know, Sean McVay um, is a smart, is a smart coach. You know, he works well with Jared Goff. I do see that continuing on for the next span of years, but with the front offices and what they're dealing with, with the Rams, I just have the feeling that they're going to be in a cap dump where now they have to end up getting rid of star players, but at the same time, they have to reload with draft picks. Am I right? Yeah, you're 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 definitely right, a hundred percent there as well. So um, excellent points again. You know, uh, you take those guys off of the defense, and you're not left with much there. And then, like you said, you're going to have to retool with the draft picks and everything. So um, I agree with you a hundred percent. You know, they they've left themselves in a position where. Uh, you know, it's going to be difficult, but good, great point as far as, as wrapping up Jared Goff early. That is the one decision that you can look at over the last couple of years and say, okay, that was a good move, mm-hmm. probably good value, you know, what they're paying him, especially when you're looking around the league and you're seeing what some guys got this off season. I mean, right. you know, you got Dak Prescott, who's, uh, you know, on a franchise deal, but looking for 35 million a year. So right. you definitely got Goff at a, a more of a bargain rate, which is, which is good so I w- I'm with you there that was the one good move they did make you know got the franchise quarterback sewed up and and the relationship like you said with McVay that's going to be good I think they're going to be okay there so it's once they figure out what else they can do they can move on from this dead money which created a little bit of a problem here for them this offseason moving forward but if they can get through that see what happens you know uh you know if they can luck out in the draft too you know you that that could help as well so you know, get a guy that's going to be under a rookie deal that could step in and be a difference maker, whether that be at the linebacker position on defense where they could certainly use some help or right. uh, even, you know, a little bit of depth along the offensive line. Certainly they could go wide receiver. This is a, a talent rich and a deep wide receiver draft. So you could potentially get a receiver in the second or third round that you could use to re, re, replace cooks and essentially be your, you know, third wide receiver. But um, I mean, my understanding is they're going to go to a personnel more that has the two tight ends on the field with Everett and Higby, something they were doing more at the end of last season, mm-hmm. in which case they're only going to have two receivers out on the field anyway with Cup and, and Robert Woods. So I'm looking for them to go more into that personnel, and uh, you know we'll see what happens. But excellent point about wrapping up 
Jared Goff mm-hmm. earlier. That was, uh, I agree with you, the one the one move. I mean, could you imagine if they were trying to pay him as well <laughs> this offseason? It just wouldn't happen. I mean, it would be yeah. a complete mess going on there. So yeah. instead of only a uh, half mess that they have going on right now. So. No, I, I completely agree. Sport, uh, sports guy Chris here on the Snake Sports Talk Show as we're kind of wrapping it up here. But yeah, I agree. I, I feel like that that was a better position for Jared Goff rather than, yeah, if they're now stuck with dead cap money and they can't even pay their quarterback now you got it now you're kind of faced with you know the harsh decision of where do you pretty much go from there and that's where as I mentioned trying to get as much draft picks as possible because that's what most of these organizations and these general managers have been doing well the Colts have been able to get draft picks um the uh, the Dolphins have been able to get draft picks so that's what's going to shift me to this now so we're talking about the NFL draft and yes I'll be able to talk about your Packers as well but one thing that I've said here I've been doing this on uh, my podcast as well on Spotify you can listen into but I had some crazy talks and one of them that I think has been spurring around because the Miami Dolphins have a lot of draft capital you know they've got a lot of draft picks coming in three of them in the first round and one thing that I've been rumoring around about is them uh trading three first round picks to the Cincinnati Bengals for that number one pick to potentially get Joe Burrow I will tell you this and I look at Cincinnati as a whole you've got a division where all three of those teams the Browns the Steelers and the Ravens all have really good defenses and Cincinnati, they rank last in offensive line, at least in their structure. And that's something that I think composed as a compose as a concern to me because it's it's basically saying that you're getting your franchise quarterback, but he won't be your franchise quarterback for long because you don't have a strong offensive line, let alone defensive guys. So if this was a trade, that if I'm the Cincinnati Bengals and I'm offered that, because I won't be offered a, a trade like that ever again. I would go and get, at the number five pick, the best offensive line or tackle in the draft, then potentially work my way to maybe getting somebody like a Jordan Love, because you still got receivers. You've got A.J. Uh, Green, Tyler Boyd, and Auden Tate. And I would think that, you know, Jordan Love, if you keep, because my thing is keep Andy Dalton, because at least. You'll have a process where Jordan Love can learn a little bit from Dalton and maybe get better as we go. And then maybe in that next pick, you either get another offensive lineman or you get a tight end. What's your opinion if that was a potential that happens? Wow. Well, that, hey, you know what? I like it. I like it. It's something that I, uh, you know, I haven't come across yet. So I'm, I'm thinking about it. But you know what? If, if I am the Bengals, and I have an opportunity to get three first-round picks with one of them being at number five, I think you're right, especially make an excellent point about that division and how good the defenses are, right? So you look at Cincinnati, three first-round picks, and at the spots they would be picking, where those spots are aligned, you could get, like you said, you could get your quarterback, you can get an offensive lineman, and you could get an impact player on defense. I mean, if you're looking at five, you've got every option you want. You can take a quarterback there, of course, still if you want. You're going to be able to get one of the best offensive linemen in the draft. Mm-hmm. Derek Brown from Auburn, outstanding defensive interior lineman, is going to be available if you want. If you want to wait and, and go defense with one of the later rounds and uh, picks in the first round, you might have a guy like Chasen, Chasen there from LSU. Mm-hmm. Edge rusher would be a phenomenal pick help to uh, get, you know, get, get the defense boosted as well. So, 
you would have the opportunity, in my opinion, to still get a quarterback, like you said. It's just not going to be Burrow. It may be a guy like Jordan Love, like you pointed out, or even Justin you know, uh, Herbert there if you decide to go with him at five. Right. Uh, but you also got the opportunity to get, in my opinion, what would be a day one starter for your offensive line, which you desperately need, and a day one starter impact player for your defense that you could potentially build around. So right. if I'm the Bengals and I get floated that deal, and I love Joe Burrow as much as everybody, I am extremely high on Joe Burrow and think it's an excellent fit. But if I have an opportunity for three first round picks in this year's in this year's draft class in particular, where you could address three glaring needs. I like that deal a lot for Cincinnati. I really do. And, you know, Miami, um, hey, if you went and got Joe Burrow, wow, all right. You know, I, I could see Miami and Buffalo. How about that, right? Miami yeah. and Buffalo duking it out for the AFC East. That's my, yeah. It's behind both of those teams, believe it or not. But, uh, yeah, I like it. I like it a lot. And I think you have the opportunity to, to really – have an, an impact franchise altering draft because you can address three major needs there in the first round and I think there's enough depth with with those different positions like I said especially offensive line you, they'd be able to get one of the two or three best linemen in the draft and again guys that would be day one starters so right I like that deal I like it a lot yeah I and you know and th th this is the possibility that I look at with the Cincinnati Bengals because here's the thing I think Joe Burrow would have a much better success in the AFC East than he would be in the North because all throughout it is because of those defenses. And look, if you watch Joe Burrow in LSU and you see how the offensive line is stacked, it's giving him enough time in the pocket where he can stay focused, stay relaxed, and get time to throw in the pocket. And he does throw a very good ball and he's very accurate and he's also somebody that you know he's very precise with his throws I don't think he's going to get that in Cincinnati because here's the thing when you come into the NFL as a, a potential franchise quarterback the game does get faster the game gets faster defenses are getting younger stronger and they're figuring out the the offensive lines to get to the quarterback much quicker I mean we see this with Nick Bosa we see this also you know in that north where you've got uh, Baltimore, who's flooded with defensive linemen that can get to the quarterback. You got Pittsburgh, who stays um, consistent, whether it's the line. And then if he throws, you got the, the, the secondaries that can make plays. And then you also have Cleveland, who, by the way, with Olivier Vernon and Miles Garrett that come back healthy, that's a team that could literally disrupt what Cincinnati's trying to put on it. And I feel like that that may shorten Burrow's career like that. But in the AFC East... Because all he would have to face is Josh uh, Allen twice a year, Sam Darnold twice a year, and potentially Jared Stidham twice a year. But there's not really a whole lot that does happen, only except, um, you know, Buffalo having the stronger defense. Yeah, uh, excellent points. I agree with you there. I, especially with with the way this offseason is going to work and everything like that, you know, it's it's going to be... I mean, we're not sure how the season's going to start, but at either rate, we know the off-season stuff is not going to be there like it normally is. So for these yeah. rookies, especially rookie quarterbacks that usually get in ahead of time, they get in their camp work, they're getting you know different drills in with their receivers, the timing and all that, that stuff is not going to be there. So it's going to be even more so. And, and I do agree with you, Cincinnati... 
because the offensive line is not good there, and the, the defenses that they have to play, like you said, they're all established. And it, it, I could see that scenario happening where it might be a shortened, you know, career going going to Cincinnati just for those reasons. So you make excellent points about the AFC East. The AFC East, of course, um, you know, like you said, I mean, who would you rather have to go against? You know, that group of quarterbacks for sure. Uh, and you and you look at the defenses, and you know Buffalo will have an elite defense. The Jets and the Patriots, I'm not sure. Yeah, the Patriots had a great defense last year, but they lost three or four key players from that defense as well that right. signed with other teams. So uh, no Tom Brady on offense. I mean, you might you might have a few more three and outs. That's going to have greater pressure on your defense. Mm-hmm. So um, I agree. You know, for Burrow that fit would would be a little bit better, at least right now, to start out his career. I agree. Going to the AFC East where you're going to have to go against, like you said, you've, you've got the less established quarterbacks for sure, less yeah. established defensive fronts. Uh, that would definitely be, uh, I think, welcomed. Right. <laughs> so no, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I, I agree. Yeah, and so uh, so like I said, we'll wrap this up here with the Green Bay Packers because I made a point in one of my crazy talks about this. Like, look, I like the Packers in some extent, but here's the thing, and I'm sure you could probably elaborate with this too, but Aaron Rodgers is coming off a year where he's had the worst quarterback rating of his career. Okay, we don't see Aaron Rodgers going out, making risky throws, slinging it out like we usually would see him do that, even when you got a wide receiver like Devontae Adams. Here's my point in the draft. My thing is, if the Green Bay Packers work something out where they could potentially, and this is where I make a point, because years ago, when Green Bay drafted a young NorCal kid named Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre was 35. Aaron Rodgers currently, as we go into the draft, he's 35. Is there a potential somewhere, and I'm looking at this, that, and I've heard this from the general manager, that if available, do you think it's a smart move for Green Bay to potentially going and getting, maybe as a safe emergency, another franchise quarterback for the future in Jordan Love? Yeah, I've, I've heard some speculation with that, and, uh, you know, I would not have a problem with that. Aaron is getting out there. He's, he's obviously still an elite-level player when he can be on the field. You know, the success they had last year, the continuity for the roster are, are all good things. You know, they're coming back. There's not a rebuild going on or anything like that. You know, the last few times where we had been to an NFC title game years prior – there were a lot of question marks with the roster going into those off seasons and turnovers and so on and so forth. We're in a little different position from the, the roster buildup and standpoint yes. that way. But Aaron has had some injury problems over the last few years. He is getting older. It is clear to see, especially if you're watching him on a weekly basis, like us Packer fans, the mobility is not the same. You know, that's right. what made Rodgers such an elite quarterback as well is his underrated mobility. Uh, you know, and he, he has an ability to sneak away just when you think he's going to get sacked a lot of times, extend a third down with his legs and sneak out of bounds before he can get hit. Those plays were, were certainly fewer and far between last year and, and they will continue to be. So you look at this year's draft and there is certainly potential where we're going to be picking later on in the first round to get a guy like a Jordan Love or even one of these other guys, potentially in the second or third round, you know, you look at a guy like Jacob Eason from Washington, 
uh, potentially, I don't think Green Bay would take a Jalen Hurts, but he would be available later on. There's there's going to be some intriguing options mm-hmm. and some guys that I wouldn't mind us taking a chance on for sure. So yeah. if they elect to, uh, if Love is still there in the first round, I, I would not be, you know, uh, against that for sure. If he's off the board, I would prefer us to address some other needs that we could hear, you know, whether it be wide receiver or linebacker. And then look to the second or third round to hopefully maybe snag one of these other quarterbacks. But Mm -hmm. uh, I'm with you. I think it's, you have to consider it. I'm not sure how much longer Aaron will play. I think he wants to play another three or four years, but uh, of course, you know, with the injury history and everything, it needs to be realistic to have some kind of a uh, backup in place or, or transition period. So and, yeah. uh, you know, taking advantage of an opportunity, if you're picking late in the first round in a draft every year, you don't always have an opportunity to possibly get a guy like Love in his, in his quality. So yeah. maybe it's uh, taking advantage of an opportunity when it presents itself, much like it did when we were able to draft Aaron Rodgers all those years ago. He obviously was not supposed to be available that late in the draft. Nobody thought that was going to happen. So if a similar situation happens, uh, I hope well we can repeat history and 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 pounce on a guy and honestly <laughs> a, it, for a guy like Jordan Love to sit for a couple years and mm-hmm. then have a chance to play, honestly that might be a great uh, a great scenario. And yeah. In today's NFL, that opportunity just doesn't happen too much. These quarterbacks that get drafted right away, the expectation is they're going to play within yeah. the first few games. If they're not starting from day one, usually the fan bases want them in there by, uh, you know, the halfway point of that first season. So yeah. does that help some guys? Sure. Does it hurt some guys? I think so. Some guys get forced out there before they're ready. So, yeah. Uh, but I would, I, I'm with you. I would, I would take that opportunity and say, let's get a guy. And if he has to sit for a couple of years, I'm okay with that. Uh, let him watch Aaron Rodgers and his work ethic and how he goes about his business. And then, uh, you never know. Maybe we've got our next guy for the future. So I think that's an excellent point for sure. Yeah, because my uh, my yeah, because my big yeah. thing is is like, look, this is my knock on Green Bay, and I'm being honest with you up on this because the fact that they let Blake Martinez walk was I thought something that was crucial. And that's where I look at the linebacking position because, look, you've got an NFC North that I don't know what the hell that the Detroit Lions are doing, and I don't think either of us do know either. But Minnesota, they took a huge impact on defense, losing Linval Joseph and a lot of really good key defensive guys. And you got Chicago who, by the way, has actually been improving a little bit more upon their defenses, staying strong, and I think that that's kind of something where Chicago's getting back into the mix. Um, and uh, and I think that it's going to be interesting to watch them, but my big knock on the Packers is, is that, look, I-, I will say this. You take Devontae Adams away from this offense, I don't think Aaron Rodgers has anybody to throw to on this one. And look, I like Alan Lazard, but he hasn't proven to me enough to say, okay, he can be a secondary receiver if Devontae Adams goes down. Because you have to look at the list of receivers Green Bay has gone through. And not a whole lot of them have really produced a lot of numbers. And I do play fantasy football as well. And I look at these stats. And it's hard for me to make a point when I say, like, Look, Aaron Rodgers in his quarterback rating has been the lowest and the worst in his career. And everybody, and I can tell you, I'm sure you've heard this from Packer fans where it says, well, Aaron Rodgers needs support. But, you know, he's got a running back who can run and catch. And you've got a guy like Devontae Adams who's a complete number one for him. But if you take all those away, 
sometimes there's some things you can see from Aaron Rodgers who both number one is probably where he's kind of slowly but surely eroding or there's also a point where this Green Bay's offense just needs to get needs to get better and needs to reload I completely agree I uh, feel that 110% I the one thing I was disappointed with Green Bay this past offseason was uh, I mean you mentioned Blake Martinez we figured he would go. That was a tough loss. Blake, uh, a, a phenomenal tackler and a big part of our middle defense. But speaking about the offense, I think I was very hopeful we might try to grab a wide receiver. Now, you know, they did sign Devin Funches, but, you know, that's not a block, you know, blockbuster move by any any means. You yeah. know, we'll see what happens. I think it's more of a we'll kick the tires on him and see. He's a big target. Maybe uh, he can go up and nab a couple balls. But, as a consistent, you know, guy that's going to move the chains or have a big, big impact on offense, probably not. But you make excellent points. I mean, they were hoping for Geronimo Allison and Marquez Valdez Scanling to take step forwards. They did not. They they kind of took steps backward, and yeah. you know, the, the the route running and pass catching abilities just were not there for these guys. They they had worse years. So uh, I, I think it's clear that you don't really have your number two or three guys there. The depth isn't quite there. I'm with you, Lazard, you know, for being a guy that was a practice squad player that had to step in and, and do some production at the end of the season, he did a great job. But as far as being a secondary weapon, you know, I'm with you. I was hoping they would have maybe tried to make a little bit of a splash, got a guy like Robbie Anderson who could stretch a defense that you could put yeah. opposite Devontae Adams. Uh, that didn't happen, of course, I think. They were. If that would have worked, they would have had to get a more of a you know eight million a year deal, seven million instead of the ten he signed for. But anyway, that was a guy I was hoping for. So you look at this draft, and I really, really hope we're going to look at a receiver. There is, there's a lot of receiving talent in this draft. Hopefully, it's a guy that's can step in and play right away. There's also a lot of receiving talent later on rounds where guys might be developmental guys. So. Um, but we'll see. That, that, that'll that be interesting to see what they do with that first-round pick because you could have the potential to, if you're willing to trade up a few spots, you might be able to land a guy like Justin Jefferson from LSU. I think uh, mm. you know Jerry Judy and CeeDee Lamb are going to go too early in the first round for a team yeah. like Green Bay uh, to move up to get them. But a guy like Justin Jefferson could be around later on in the first round. That would be a guy I, I wouldn't mind making a move for. But, uh, Jake, you make an excellent point. That is the big knock right now on Green Bay. Yeah. Very happy with, with how good Aaron Jones played. The running game came along. LaFleur's new system, you know, running the ball more, that's great and everything. Devontae Adams, certainly an elite receiver. But it was abundantly clear that aside from Devontae Adams, there wasn't much. And when he was out with that turf toe injury, earlier in the season this past year he missed a good portion of games we really struggled to do much offensively at all in those games because like you said we really did not have any receiver at all that could step up even guys that have been there for a couple years that we were hoping to uh, could not so uh, I'm with you the big knock there as well I was hoping you know from some kind of developments uh you know with free agency it didn't happen so mm-hmm. um i will say i'm i'm high on jay sternberger he's a guy that might step in and, and get some more looks here at tight end now mm-hmm. that uh, jimmy Graham's departed but you know let's be honest we're gonna need a lot more than a, than sternberger <laughs> to get that offense up to where we'd like it to be so 
Uh, certainly a, a quality number two receiver. Maybe they can get in the draft. I hope that's what the plan is because uh, otherwise I'm not really sure what we're rolling in behind Devontae Adams when it comes to our receiving core this year. So I'm with you. Yeah. Uh, we need some improvements there uh, to help Aaron out for sure. Well, I could tell you what, what's really appreciative and I love talking with you, man. You bits, you put some great content up and some really good thoughts. And I, I, I really like, honestly, what makes me feel so good is, is somebody is at least on the same page and is on the same line. Because look, I would not be talking about certain teams and putting on, you know, knocks on them if I was absolutely sure. Because I trust my gut and I trust my eyes. Whenever I see that, because I am an analytic and statistic person. So when I see something that's off, I want to make sure that I know, like, what are the stats telling me? And then what, what kind of performance am I seeing? And that's why I'm like, I look at Green Bay. Green Bay's got potentials, but the, the the one question is, is what potentials are they that they can now exceed and get into a higher level? You got Chicago who's coming up. Detroit and, and Minnesota, I know, I, I think they're probably going to take somewhat of a step back. Maybe Minnesota looks like a number three team. But that's something where, you know, Green Bay has to be competitive. So uh, as we're wrapping up here in the Snake Sports Talk Show with sports guy Chris, great special guest and great uh, colleague of mine that has great content on stuff. There's one question I want to get to and your thoughts on this. Where do you see Tua going up into this draft? I've been saying this and look, I don't say this as just a Charger fan, but I do say this. They've got, they fixed up problems on the offensive line. They are, they've gotten healthy. Finally, after 30 years of dealing with a horrible offensive line, the Chargers are finally doing it right. They fixed the tackle. They fixed the guard. I think they're probably going to go into the draft and maybe get another good offensive lineman. But I think if Tua steps in, because look, Tyrod Taylor's not the future of this franchise. I think if Tua steps in, I think the Chargers, like, I, w I could ask you this. Would you be comfortable watching a matchup between Tua and Patrick Mahomes for maybe the next 10, 15 years in the AFC West? Oh, man, how great would that be? Yeah, absolutely, 110%. You know, uh, I mean, I t hey, I'd love to have two on the, on the Chargers. I think that would be great. I would love to see, like you just said, Jake, him going up with, you know, Patty Mahomes for the next 10 to 15 years. How exciting would that be? <laughs> uh, I think that, I mean, man, that would be awesome. Uh, I think if if um, you know if he's there at five and the Dolphins don't take him, still going to be surprised. I know the grumblings in the last week or two have been Miami passing on him, on yeah. him and so forth. Uh, I still like them to to take him if he's there, and you know if they if they work out a trade like we talked about a little bit, or they go a different route, or, and they decide to take you know Justin uh, Herbert instead, then for sure. Uh, I I mean. There's no way Tua gets past the Chargers if he's still available. I, I agree 110%. If I'm San Diego, or excuse me, L.A., and he's sitting there, um, I'm definitely going to take him. You're right. You know, they feel they can win with Tyrod Taylor. And uh, with that with that roster and how good they are on, on both the offensive line, like you mentioned, they I think they can win with Tyrod Taylor right now. So it would be perfect. You know, it would be a perfect fit if, if there are a little bit of lingering injury concerns that Tua needs to just kind of work through before he's 110% ready to go. Mm -hmm. You have a guy that's won some games before in this league, took Buffalo to the playoffs a couple of years ago. So yeah. um, I think that would be a great transition, kind of, uh, you know, a, a perfect fit. So 
Um, I'd like to see it, you know, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> well, you can follow this man right here with great contents on both pro and college sports as well here on uh, Instagram and YouTube. Follow and subscribe to Sports Guy Chris. Great to having you on, man. This was such a fun time. I can't wait to do this again. I know with this whole entire pandemic, it's been kind of, you know, pushing back a lot of stuff and it's been kind of hitting the schedules a lot for us. But at the same time, we're doing what we can to kind of, you know, uh, entertain, entertain the public as much as we can throughout this whole time. And I think that we are all doing our best jobs to doing so. So keep doing what you're doing up on your contents, my friend. Hopefully um, with everybody who's been on here, um on the stream show and of course this will be on the podcast as well to take a listen to um we'll follow and subscribe to you and get some interesting thoughts of what you got to say on some potential stuff man so it's been great i hope you have the great rest of your weekend as well stay safe and healthy out there i know socal is is definitely a hotbed right now with this whole virus um but hopefully at some point we will get back to some sort of normalcy in the next couple of days I hear you. Thanks, Jake. I appreciate it. Appreciate you having me on. I really enjoyed it. Uh, like you said, you know, get some content out to help to get through all of this and everything. So uh, you do the same, my man. You stay safe. Keep doing your thing. Appreciate you and everything that you're putting out. We'll keep going. I'll have some content out a little bit later today talking about three options for the New England Patriots to do here in the first mm. round of the NFL draft three options i'd like to see them explore so anywho awesome man it was great chatting with you great being on you know uh as i like to wrap things up what i say to everybody out there stay calm stay safe let's all stay positive and you know we'll all get through this so uh absolutely again, great chat with you jake thanks for having me on my man absolutely man can't wait to do this again soon you take care of yourself Good, you too. All righty, hour two coming up next. It's the Snake Sports Talk Show.